This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Miss Wang did a photo comparison. I have that up on my website and my post if people want to see it. It's also out on Twitter. She posted a before and after of her photo and the adjusted Caucasian version of herself on Twitter and said, okay, that's weird, which it is. And this caused a big kerfluffle in the AI world about how this happened. That was Matt Kelly. I'm Tom Fox. Welcome to the award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds. This week, Matt and I take a look at a, a disturbing example of inherent bias in AI and how internal audit is at this point befuddled by how to audit AI. It's a fascinating topic that every compliance professional needs to be aware of as it will have huge implications for auditing going forward. The award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again with Matt Kelly for another episode. And today we're going to take a look at a interesting test or at least example that Matt had regarding AI. So, Matt, what did you start out to do and what ended up happening that you wrote about? Well, this is a thing that caught my eye about artificial intelligence last week, Tom, and maybe people who follow AI in the news or on Twitter might have already seen this. But uh, this is a story that uh, became famous in MIT grad student in computer science and math. Her name is Rona Wang. Uh, she is Asian-American. And she was testing this AI tool called Playground AI, which... Uh, allows you to modify photos that you upload to the service. So she uploaded a photo of herself wearing an MIT t-shirt. And as we said, she is Asian American and she asked Playground AI to please make her photo more professional for a LinkedIn profile. And the AI app promptly turned Miss Wang white, gave her nice pale skin, nice blue eyes, 
Um, bone structure pretty much looks the same. The hair color is kind of the same, but basically the, this AI took the instruction, make me look more professional and interpreted that to mean we should make this person look Caucasian. So Miss Wang did a photo comparison. I have that up on my website and my post if people want to see it. It's also out on Twitter. She posted a before and after of her photo and the adjusted Caucasian version of herself on Twitter and said, okay, that's weird, which it is. And uh, this caused a big kerfluffle in the AI world about how this happened. Um, Clearly, this is not a desirable result, and we should be quick to note that even Playground AI said that shouldn't happen. Um, the CEO responded to Miss Wang on Twitter saying, we're going to look into this, and he gave some thoughts about how it may or may not have happened. Um, but nonetheless, the basic point here I'm trying to make is that this happened. This is not good. raises all sorts of questions about the implicit bias in AI And, Tom, my real question for audit and compliance executives and those of you listening here today, I would put it to you, is, okay, we have an AI app. We know it's behaving in ways that we don't want because that is an undesirable outcome is you're changing uh, the race of a person when they say, please make me look more professional. Side note, the AI did not actually get rid of the rumpled sweatshirt that Miss Wang was wearing. Whether she was Asian or white, she was still wearing the same thing instead of putting her into like a blazer and a shirt. Um, But my question for everybody thinking about AI is, how would you audit the code in an AI app to be able to avoid that sort of an outcome? Because I think, or at least I have been told by many IT auditors and professional auditors who think a lot about cybersecurity, the dirty truth is we have no idea how to audit the code for an AI app to prevent this sort of a thing. Because these AI instruments are behaving in a fundamentally different way than most other types of apps and systems and technology we have audited before. And it raises some really interesting questions about how we're going to get a grip on what we know is clearly a problem, but we're not entirely sure how to solve it because we're tinkering with a thing that we don't really understand how it works. And I'm actually reminded of the Star Trek original series episode, The Ultimate Computer, where a computer was put in charge of the Enterprise, and the computer executed a series of maneuvers in war games, not understanding that there were games, and destroyed the Federation fleet sent out to play uh, war games. But the computer eventually was defeated because the computer's maker had put his engrams his brain waves directly into the computer, and so Kirk was able to appeal to morality. Here, we have no appeal to morality, but we appear to have implicit bias of the designer involved in the um, creation, which led to Ms. Wang being anglicized. So the question I had, in addition to the one you have about audit, because I do want to explore that at some length, is if AI is going to have the implicit bias of the coder, is it going to continue to learn bias as it uh, machine learns and grows intellectually? Well, Tom, I would even stop you right there and say I'm not sure 
that the code in this app has the implicit bias. And this gets to some of the tricky parts. So we have to step back and remember how these large language models, or in this case, a large image model, would actually work, is that the code tells the AI app to please go scrape through this enormous pile of data. And for ChatGPT and some of the other generative AI out there, it's like scrap, you know, scrape every bit of data you can possibly find on the internet. But if you were going to say to an AI bot that does this, playing around with photos, please make me look more professional, well, the data that it's going to look at is just every photo on LinkedIn. Well, LinkedIn tends to skew toward more professional class people, and certainly in the United States, I don't know this as a fact, but my instinct is that most professional class people are disproportionately white and are on LinkedIn. I Actually, I'm not sure that is the case. It's just my gut instinct is that most people who are upper class, upper white collar workers, upper management, they tend to trend white. Now, that's not the fault of the AI to go look at all of those photos and then come away thinking, well, I guess that means to be professional, I should probably turn her white because so many other people on LinkedIn already are, aren't they? Um, that may very well be what this app did. And in that case, it's more a question of is there structural racism in the world that we have skewed the professional and management classes towards white people as opposed to a more equitable distribution across all races. Now, it's not the AI program's fault. That's the human's fault. It's just trying to make the best interpretation of the world as it can. And last I saw, you know, humans aren't doing very well at overcoming structural racism and implicit bias. Why should we think AI would be any better? Um, it raises some really interesting questions about that. Now, I also I do want to circle back to the code itself, is that you have these big piles of data, and the code is trying to assign different values to all of the images or pieces of data it looks at. There are a tremendous number of those parameters in these AI models. So in ChatGPT, it has come out that ChatGPT is evaluating every piece of data it can find according to 1.76 trillion different parameters. No human can audit that. No human is going to be able to look at that code and say, okay, these five parameters out of the 1.76 trillion, they're off, and if we correct those, the implicit bias will go away. There's no human who could do it. If there is any human who could do it, they're not going to work at an audit firm. They're going to work at OpenAI or some other tech startup for four times the salary and a boatload more equity compensation. But when we talk about eliminating the bias in the code, that's like a doctor saying, I'm going to eliminate these 50 brain cells out of the 100 billion in the human brain, and you're not going to be racist anymore. That's not the way the brain works. That's not the way thinking works. And we have to get our heads around, like, this is the AI version of what I just described about zapping the brain cells. We don't yet know how to fix all of this. But on the regulatory side, if they're saying you can't launch AI unless you've audited for implicit bias, which is already a rule in some places, brings me back to my fundamental point. I don't think we know how to audit this yet. So I assume that would be true for any type of AI we might use, the most popular being ChatGPT, but uh, Playground AI with its image creator, uh, is it even feasible for an auditor 
to be able to audit any of these that you've been able to uncover uh, to date, Matt? Well, I broke it down looking at how auditors would look at code step by step. So put aside AI for a moment. Let's start with a cybersecurity audit. You have your ERP system at your company. It runs the finance function, runs procurement, runs HR. And you want to audit that code to find just known cybersecurity flaws so you can fix them. That can be done, easily done. Uh, There are tools out there that will let you do it on an automated basis, and it will spit out that you've got these 17 vulnerabilities in your SAP system. You need to fix them in this way. You can do it that way. If you're a glutton for punishment and you want to do it in a manual way with a battalion of cybersecurity coders and IT auditors, you could do it that way too. But audit the code for cybersecurity flaws. Sure, you can do that. Now let's take it up a notch. Could you do the same to audit the code for compliance risks, like such as um, confirming that your systems handle personal data in accordance with the GDPR and various other privacy laws. Can you do that compliance audit of your software code? Yes, you can do that too. Um, Same as what I just said before. There are tools that will help you automate it. There are tools or there are methods to do it manually if, you know, for some reason you want to do it that way. But you can audit for security. You can audit for compliance. Then we get back to AI, We're really talking more about how to audit for an ethical outcome, for a process that we don't understand how it works. We don't really know how generative AI handles 1.7 trillion parameters of every bit of data. We just know that it does. And we have to audit the results. Now, let me go back to um, the Playground AI and the image apps or the images and the disaster it had there, the glitch it had there, you could control the number of images that it looks at to make them more representative of the population as a whole. That would be one way to do it because, you know, it's very possible that it just looked at uh, all the images in the world it misinterpreted the structural racism that still exists or the structural inequities that still exist in this world about professional working class jobs. And, you know, you could filter that out, but that's an ethical choice. Who's going to be the one who says we're going to chop off these many images from everything on LinkedIn and only let it search a partial one? That is a reflection of the moral values of whoever's deciding that. I guess it would be the playground AI coders who might do that. Or maybe they do have the wherewithal to figure out it's these parameters here we're going to change in our code. But again, it's them deciding we don't like this outcome. We're going to change how this all works to achieve a better outcome. I agree with that in principle, but it still is an ethical choice from the people designing it or checking it or auditing it or whatever. But it's their ethical decision to say that You know, we want this to look this certain way. Now, I have no problem with that in this particular case because it shouldn't be that professional looking by default means white. It should be, I would say, by default, it means you're wearing like a shirt and tie or a blazer or a shirt or something like that, not a sweatshirt. But, um, you know, I don't know that we have fully thought through how are we going to codify, if I can get away with that, 
codify our approach to auditing AI and looking at the code so it gives us the good outcomes we want when we still don't really know exactly how AI works, not at this new level. And there's very few people who who know how to design these programs at all. There's probably even fewer who know how to audit them. And yet here we are running around saying that we want to have these audits against implicit bias. We want to have audits against this or that. We don't know how to audit it. We don't have the people to audit it. And we're already seeing some unwanted results. And this is just the start. And it's, you know, as offensive and exasperating as it might be to Miss Wang, it's not the end of the world. She was able to fix that and life goes on. But there are going to be AI decisions, AI outcomes where they could be life and death. And we don't know how to audit them yet. And that's the big elephant in the room that I'm starting to worry about more and more with these AI apps. Matt, I think uh, you and I, when we would think of make our pictures more professional, it would be, as you have suggested, it would more trend toward clothing and not the color of our skin or our physical appearance. And here the computer made a conscious decision not to touch the clothing, which uh, I would have assumed is what makes something look more professional or more casual. Uh, on that continuum. Uh, But you also talked about the city of New York's requirements now around use of AI in the hiring process. And it struck me in that section of your blog post that right now the only way to audit it is run a bunch of test cases and see if there's are real cases and see if there's a percentage of bias in those. And if so what is that percentage? Is that an acceptable error rate or percentage rate? Um, are that is that where we are right now? We're having to audit outcomes as opposed to codes? Well, that, that is where we are with this uh, new rule from New York City, which went into effect not long ago, that uh, for any employer in New York City who uses AI tools in the hiring process, And that could be anything from asking ChatGPT to please scan these 1,000 LinkedIn profiles of applicants, summarize them down to three bullet points each, and then give me the five out of the thousand who most match what I want. In theory, you could ask ChatGPT to do that. But, you know, if you could do that at the high end, at the low end, you could just use a keyword matching tool which qualifies as an AI tool used in hiring under New York City's new regulation. Anything from the keyword matching up to ChatGPT selecting your finalists, that falls under the regulation, which which requires that I believe it's at least annually. It is certainly before you start using the tool. Never mind that a bunch of us have already been using it. But anyways, um, you would need to have a bias audit done, published to your website, Uh, where it would look at the outcomes. And does this tool give an adverse lower selection rate for certain protected classes versus the selection rate for all people? So, you know, we only look at the top 10% of all applicants, but it turns out that actually we're only looking at the top 2% of all Asian applicants or all black applicants or something like that. If there's a discrepancy there, that's going to be a problem. But, Tom, to your point, all we're doing now is looking at the outcomes. We haven't actually ever stopped at anywhere in this whole process to say, how did the AI tool give us that undesirable result? 
I get it maybe from the regulator's perspective that they don't care how the result came about. They care that you don't use it. But for companies that are using AI in the hiring process, you'd have to start thinking about, well, am I going to then scrap this whole AI tool and use another one? Am I going to scrap it and just use human HR people and recruiters? Um, Am I going to have auditors and coders sit down and try and figure this out? If they're going to try and figure it out, do they just filter the data, you know, the, the raw data, I guess, that the AI tool uses to learn? If they are, then what about any bias that they might be injecting then when it's you know, somebody somewhere has to define the pool of data that the AI is looking at? Data doesn't work by getting ever more sophisticated code. It works and learns by getting ever larger pools of data. So who is going to be the one who decides what that pool of data is? How do we know that that person doesn't have some implicit bias? And we can go on down that road all day long. Um, I don't have a good answer to any of that. I'm just pointing out that this is the problem. And we are using AI and racing ahead with it in all sorts of interesting use cases without necessarily understanding how it works. And then we get these odd outcomes and suddenly we're all wondering how do we prevent it? It's not entirely clear to me that we know how to prevent it yet. And here we are. And we've got regulatory pressures coming down on us. We have unwanted things like, you know, I'm sure this was embarrassing for Playground AI when Miss Wang put the photo comparison up online. You know, you've got some business risks and reputation harms to think through. <clears throat> and yet we still don't have a good answer for any of this. It's a good example of the audit compliance and ethics issues around AI all piling into one business. I think probably the best I could say at this point, Matt, is more will be revealed. One, one should hope. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds. We've linked to Matt's blog posts on this topic in the show notes. I hope you will check out the blog posts for more information. I also hope you will listen to some of the new podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network. We premiered a podcast uh, with Richard Blundell on sustainability, the business opportunity of the 21st century, Fox on podcasting, where I take a meta look at podcasting and compliance and AI. We are also developing some additional new shows, which will premiere in July. It's quite an exciting time on the Compliance Podcast Network. If you'd like to be a part of the Compliance Podcast Network, please give me a shout. I'm available at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks so much for listening. We look forward to visiting with you again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.